to ideas that change lives. I'm your host, Beth Perkel, and together we will explore the gemstones from every angle that I've carefully sifted for you from life's dusty gravel path. Be it from my own experiences, mistakes, or my ever-churning mind and heart, from those of my guests, or from wisdom I've come across in the writing of some of the greatest minds to be brave enough to pick up the pen and write their bravest thoughts down for us. I've done the work in finding it and presenting it for you, but now it's up to you to decide whether or not it's an idea that will change your life. Let's dive in. Today, I want to talk to you about money. Now, note my pause there. I want you to think about what came up for you when you heard that we're going to address that topic. What comes up for you in general when you think about money? Is it stress and anxiety or excitement or is it neutral? Dig deep to think of the antecedents to those emotions that popped up. How was money related to when you were a child by your family? Does it influence how you feel about it as a grown adult? Are you cool with what comes up within you when you think about money or are there changes that you really want to make internally? I recently read a very clever and funny story in The New Yorker. It was a fiction story called Participation Trophy and it's cleverly told from the perspective of the inanimate trophy itself. It begins by talking about when the participation trophy was matched with its winner, right? We know in the generation of children nowadays, people do a sport and everyone gets a trophy. It's not like maybe in our days where the people who got the trophy are the people who actually won. Now everyone's rewarded for participating. And that's how the story begins with sort of the irony of that. I'm going to read you some of the lines in the beginning because it's so funny and clever. This, the participation trophy says, I'll never forget the day we met. You were dressed boldly in orthopedic Velcro shoes, yellow sweatpants, and an oversized Legend of Zelda t-shirt. You completed the ensemble with a green mesh penny, which you debonairly or mistakenly wore as a necklace, your head thrust fetchingly through an armhole. And the story continues with the boy being so excited that he got this trophy and makes him feel like a winner, right? Which is really the goal. But ultimately, he goes home and his older brother bursts his bubble by telling him that everyone got that trophy and there's nothing special about him for getting it. The story continues through the child's adulthood where he becomes an overachiever obsessed by success and work. And I'm going to extend that here for our purposes as money, as the outcome. And therefore, he's a workaholic by nature until he realizes he missed out on the beautiful parts of life because he was so consumed by success and money. Here's some of the lines from the end. The decades marked by milestones rather than by memories. And it occurred to you that maybe all this time, instead of ignoring life or scavenging it for material you should have, what's the word I'm looking for? Participated, right? That's what the trophy ultimately tells him. By then he's thrown out the trophy, but he realizes that there was so much to participate in life that he missed because he became consumed by this pursuit of success, not realizing that he was selling away his tomorrow today. So keep that story in mind because we're gonna return to it at the end. 
Turning back to whatever came up for you at the initial mention of the M word in this episode, I've heard from several psychologists that everyone has shtick about money. Shtick is a Yiddish word that's colloquially used. I'm assuming many of you know what it means, but it means everyone has some kind of craziness or anxiety or neuroses or set of strong beliefs, right? Associated with these pieces of paper that seem to control much of the world. So we know the gamut of many of the things and ways that people associate with money in, very, in a very broad range. Some people hoard it, while some people have no ability to save. And I'm sure we know many people that fit into these various categories. Some people use it as power. Some people are triggered by it because of how they grew up. We sort of touched about it at the beginning and how they perceive and influence their childhood. Some families never talk about it, right? It's a very hush-hush topic. It's treated, it's treated very like top secret information. And some families are very open about it. So what we see from this is there's a lot of pathology that stems from money. The first of a couple questions I want you to think about is, is money power? What is power here in this crazy world we spend our existence in anyway? The next question I want you to think about, is money good or bad, right? For one person, such as the person in the story we mentioned about above, it kills them or ruins their life pursuing it, right? They're always getting ready to live, but never living. I love that. I love that saying, right? They need to just work, work, work until they have enough, but they don't really understand what enough is. They've never quantified that. They're just, they just want some kind of security they feel like comes with it. But again, our security really comes from something much higher above us that's going to control how much money we have anyways. For another person, it's the opposite. They use it as a tool that helps them do great things, right? There are many people that are able to use their money to make their lives great and the lives great of people around them, right? And even beyond philanthropists. Just on an individual, smaller level, we can help other people and help do great things um, with money without it being used as something that destroys us. So again, with almost any trade or power in this world, it depends on what you do with it. It's a malleable force from person to person. And we see from the outset, the choices we make for what we do with it ultimately determines if it's a positive force in our life or God forbid, a negative or damaging force. Now, here are some of the ideas about money that changed my life. While I mention each, think about which side of this approach you fall within. The first one, I heard from Revitin Dina Schoonmaker that people fall into two categories when it comes to money. Either they're a person who's willing to spend a lot of money for more convenience in their lives. Okay, so that's someone who's willing, you know, to pay extra money, you know, to be on the A-list for boarding, let's say, or it could be they, they'll pay for the extra, the extra money for the quick delivery, or they're willing to pay uh, for the fast pass, you know, at the amusement park. They're willing to just shell out the more money to th- make things quicker and more convenient for them. Or there are the people that will go to great inconvenience to save money. This is the person that will drive to the farther store and 
and spend more time and money on gas so that they can catch the sale, right? The sale items. Um, or they're willing to inconvenience themselves, right? Have the uh, wait longer, um, expend more of their time to save the money. And the most interesting piece of this, I think, is, is that she pointed out that which camp a person falls within often has nothing to do with how much money they actually have. So there could be a very wealthy person that will go to great inconvenience so they don't have to spend money. And there could be someone with not a lot of money that's willing to spend the money they don't have just to make things more convenient for themselves. So it's something to think about. The next delineation is that some people will bat much less of an eye on spending for pleasure, right? Vacations, clothing, a birthday party for their child, etc., right? But those same people will cheap out on things to fix their everyday problems, right? Like therapy is too expensive, they don't want to pay for it, extra cleaning help, babysitting, right? Getting the repairman on the weekend rate when their air conditioning or their heating breaks, et cetera, right? So they're, they're willing to spend on those pleasure items, but they're not willing to spend on those day-to-day items that might really help their life on a bigger, broader scale. And some people do exactly the opposite. They forego pleasure, but they see money as a tool to fix their problems, or they need to save it for a rainy day when they need it. And that gives them the best feeling in relation to it. And again, I'm not judging any of these sides. I'm just presenting them and showing how it manifests in a way that we might not realize consciously till it's pointed out for us. A quote I once heard from a friend also is ample food for thought in the money department. This friend um, was a young woman in medical school. And she sometimes would go shopping or get a manicure while she, while she was a student. And she really didn't have a lot of money to spend on these, these things. So I asked her. She was a close enough friend that I could go there. And I said, I asked her about choosing this expenditure. Like, why, like why, why do you feel like this is like the best use of your money right now? And she said to me, it's cheaper than therapy. Getting the manicure, cheaper than therapy. Going for the new outfit, cheaper than therapy. And she explained that for her, it gave her enough of a boost to put some of her worries aside, right? It gave her the self-care she needed to keep going. So again, to me, it sounded like a slippery slope, but a fascinating kernel to keep in mind that in some applications, it really can be helpful for people. I actually used this concept for myself last summer. Give you a story. Last summer, we visited um, a country, our first family trip abroad, and the airport where we were was known to be crazy understaffed post-COVID. There were giant problems with this airport. There were people that got their luggage lost and did not have it for their entire trip. Um, getting out of the airport was also famously harrowing. People would get there hours and hours early and then just barely make their plane. My brother himself had this experience. He lived there and he told me about a month or two earlier when he had visited America, when he had come to visit us, that he had gotten to the airport, I think, three, four hours early and he was so late for his flight, they actually called him from the gate and said, you're the last passenger to check in that's not here. Where are you? And he said, I spent all this time checking my bag and going through security. So needless to say, traveling with a large family, I was very nervous 
about getting um, missing our flight and getting stuck in the country and not having a place to stay when we did so. And I heard about this option that was essentially like a fast pass through the airport. So um, there was a concierge company that I don't know had some kind of um, security in in this airport where they would send an agent who would fast pass you through the checking of your bag, through getting the ticket, and all the way up to security. You couldn't quite, they couldn't get you through the security line any quicker by the time we were there before that they were offering that as an option. Um, but this, this option was going to be a few hundred dollars for our family to do it. Normally, I would not want to spend the money on that. But I realized, knowing myself and the fact that I have travel anxiety in general, after certain experiences in my life where I got stranded places, um, which were not fun, as anyone would know, whoever's gotten a flight canceled or gotten stranded in another, another country or state. Um, and I knew for myself that if I, if, if I didn't pay for this and I just went through the, through the gamble of, of trying to get to the airport many hours earlier, you know, with a bunch of children in tow and hoping to make it through the flight, or I could pay this few hundred dollars and know that the last few days of my trip wouldn't be consumed by anxiety, thinking of whether or not we'd get out in time. I ultimately said to myself, I thought back to that story from my friend, and I said, you know what? This is the kind of thing that could cause me so much anxiety that maybe I would need a session of therapy to deal with that. And I'd rather spend the money, the few hundred dollars, not having to do that, and essentially paying to redeem those last few days of my trip so that I wouldn't have anxiety about the airport and the travel. And I would know that we'd get through okay. And that's what I did. And um, it was a pleasure <laughs> to, not, to not ruin those last few memorable days of the trip and um, to be able to know that that would work out. And I was happy that I did it. So sometimes it is an important consideration to have in mind. I think of this too, thinking back to my early, uh, early years as a young adult and being married, um, there are things I look back and say, I definitely should have spent more money on early in our marriage to take the strain off of us as a young couple, a young mother. But at the time I felt too nervous to spend that money because we really had very little at that point. But looking back at how much effort and emotional energy I spent on doing those things myself, it wasn't free. Even though I wasn't paying for them with the M word, right, with dollars, I would have paid to not have stress at that point. And looking back, there was so much effort and emotional energy I spent on those things that the expenditures were happening anyways in a different format. So perhaps I should have quantified it and asked myself, how much would I be willing to pay to not have to deal with X, Y, and Z stress? And then I could quantify whether I could afford to shell out that money for the extra help, whether the calculation of the positives and negatives were worth the expenditure. Now, another fascinating piece to this that I've heard people debate is, I'm going to call it vacation versus staycation. What do I mean? I once heard two friends of mine argue about what was more worth it to them to spend money on. I had one friend who loved travel and she felt like she would be she was willing to spend the money to give her family experiences while the other friend said i would rather forego my family having those experiences and buy a nice couch 
In other words, she was saying she'd rather enhance her everyday life to make it like a vacation or to just enhance it in general than to use that money on a vacation, right? She'd rather buy things for her family to make their everyday life more fun and interesting than take it as a one-time sum and go somewhere. Versus the other friend said, no, I'd rather have a yuckier couch or less things at home and be able to give my family those experiences. So another interesting consideration I found in the arena of money. So the last question I want to ask you is the following. Is money a tool or is money a weapon? How do you relate to it within that question? If it's a tool, then you're using it as WD-40 or a screwdriver to make your life smoother, more put together, easier. But if you're using it as a jackhammer, I want you to consider the fact that that's the wrong tool. I mentioned at the beginning, I'm not going to judge any sides of it. Everyone has their own relation to money. But what I would advise is if you're going to use it, don't guilt people with money. Don't hold it it over people's heads or manipulate with it. Don't use it as a weapon. There's a certain term in Judaism called chen v'chesed, doing good in a nice way. That's what I want to bring out here. If you're going to do good for someone, if you're going to help them out with with a loan or a gift or some money that they need, do it in a way that's loving and uplifting. Because if you're going to make that kind of expenditure and investment in someone anyways, what good does it make it to be like a medicine coated in acid, right? It ruins the whole thing. So if you're going to use your money to help others, do it in a way that makes them feel lifted and boosted and loved not in a way that you're trying to get something out of them for it. That's just interpersonally. Not talking about in terms of business, that's a whole different story. Going back to the initial story about the man who missed out on participating in his life, right, because he got too hyper-focused on just putting his nose to the grindstone and making more and more and more and hoarding more and more and more, It's never too late to change your relationship with money. Like anything, it won't happen overnight. But you can start choosing tangible behaviors to show you're moving to the attitude you prefer. And a lot of the considerations we explored today can help you navigate how you really want to relate to it. I'm going to end with one last story to bring the concept home. I had a close friend who used to work for a large law firm, one of the largest law firms in the city of Chicago. And he felt like he was selling his life away in hourly increments. When you're at one of these large law firms, you often have like a little like software that's a ticking clock that you that's running all day on your computer that's adding up the billable hours for each client. And you have those ticking clocks ticking away in front of you, adding up these hours, adding up these hours. And again, that like tangibly made him look at these numbers and feel like he was selling his life away in hourly in- increments. And he decided to turn this around. Whenever he had a rare opportunity for downtime at work, he added a new clock to his computer. And he would use it to learn Torah. He would use it to spend time um, studying the books and, and philosophies and ideas that he wanted to uplift his life. And every time he was able to do this, he would add it in. He would run that clock. And he saw this all almost as like the clock of redemption, the clock of using his time in a redeemed way. 
that he wanted to show himself that when he was having pockets of time where he wasn't working, that he was also adding up the time, having a calculation of the investment time where he was spending to make his life better. So I give you all a blessing that you should learn to navigate money in a way that's uplifting and feels good to you in your heart and is not just a default pattern from previous experiences or how it was put into you as your initial factory settings of childhood and um, that you should use it as a tool that makes your life better on a daily basis.